This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you a viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Bear Extraction House, California Harvest House, and Kind Roots Trading. Thank you. We could not do it without you. Whether you say it's about time or at long last or better late than never doesn't matter. All of the cliches apply here. It looks as if federal legalization of cannabis is getting close to becoming a reality. Cannabis has been used worldwide for thousands of years, but by the early 1900s, it was seen as dangerous, unhealthy, and unwholesome. By the 1920s, states were regulating it. Federally, it became illegal in 1937. The campaign to educate the public and lift the prohibition has been ongoing ever since. In this edition of the Humboldt Chronicles, we'll talk about federal legalization on the horizon with Congressman Jared Huffman, and we'll discuss reform efforts at the state level with Jared Moffitt of the Marijuana Policy Project. It seems that we're close enough to legalization that there's actual optimism on this front in Washington. Chuck and I spoke about this recently with our Congressman Jared Huffman. It's time. We're really quite close here to to just getting this done. Congressman Huffman's optimism seems well-founded. In fact, a vote on legalization in the U.S. House of Representatives is set for this month, maybe as soon as next week. The legislation under consideration is the MORE Act, Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, the most comprehensive cannabis reform package ever taken up in Washington. If passed and signed into law, it would remove cannabis from the scope of the Federal Controlled Substances Act, permit the various states to be the primary architects of cannabis law, and possibly open up access to banking services and interstate commerce for cannabis businesses. But before we get ahead of ourselves here, even if the U.S. House passes the bill, does it stand a chance in the Republican-controlled Senate? Here's Congressman Huffman. You've got at least one U.S. senator who's in a, a terribly tough political position, Cory Gardner. And uh, he needs to deliver some wins if he wants to survive. So I'm not thrilled about helping him survive. I'd like to defeat Cory Gardner. But, you know, the politics may be such that he can persuade McConnell to uh, to do this. Uh, You know, if I I were him and I was trying to save my job, I'd, I'd be doing that. Some Senate Republicans are now seeing this issue more in economic terms than in old culture war terms. That's key in analyzing the bill's chances in the Senate. It raises the question, though, as to whether there are enough Republicans who look through this economic lens. To some degree, yes. I I think some are seeing it in economic terms, uh, especially in states where you have full-blown legalization. Uh, Others, you know, have gotten there kind of with libertarian sensibilities, the the Rand Paul types. But there continue to be culture warriors uh, that are just living in another era. So, uh, you know, the Jeff Sessions view of cannabis is is certainly shared still uh, by a number of senators and members of Congress. As Congressman Huffman told us, simply rescheduling cannabis is not enough. It makes sense for Congress to act on this legislatively. Here's why. So if you did the descheduling, 
you would assume that all these other prohibitions would go away because they all derive from that, you know, Schedule One of the Controlled Substances Act. But uh, I think if, if you really want to have clarity and certainty for, for this industry and for states, you should probably make it very clear and you, you should codify that it is okay for them to bank and to use the Postal Service and, and to do all these other things that have been off limits. Interestingly, the issue of cannabis legalization intersects with other issues of public policy in very important ways. For example, criminal justice reform and sentencing reform. What we find at the intersection is expungement. The American Bar Association defines expungement as the process by which a record of criminal conviction is destroyed or sealed from the state or federal record. An expungement order directs the courts to treat a criminal conviction as if it had not occurred, removing it from a defendant's criminal record entirely. Congressman Huffman is confident expungement will be part of any legislation passed by the House. You know, I don't hear a lot of controversy about expungement. If we're going to decriminalize this, make it legal, it, it makes no sense that people would continue to, you know, carry the burden of, of these uh, anachronistic um, criminal records. So uh, it, it's also uh, an area of bipartisan work, in, in the, even in this Congress, the uh, criminal justice reform and, and sentencing reform. So I think we'll have a bipartisan majority that is that is pretty comfortable with Expungement. The Moore Act that Congressman Huffman and his colleagues will be voting on soon also contains social equity provisions such as establishment of a community reinvestment grant program targeted at individuals most adversely impacted by the war on drugs and funded in part by a tax on cannabis products. Congressman Huffman says there's support for it. Well, I know my colleague Barbara Lee, uh, among others, feels very passionately about this, that um, Black and brown people have borne the brunt of uh, cannabis prohibition, and that as as part of, uh, you could say, the reparation for that, uh, they should uh, have some preference in uh, the opening up of this industry and and, uh, how we do it going forward. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open to that. I, I think you've got to be thoughtful about how you, you put those preferences in place. But as, as a general principle, I, I can't disagree with that. We were curious about what the congressman was hearing from this district, his constituents, us, our friends and neighbors, about federal legalization. We asked and found that this strange year of 2020 has even impacted constituent feedback. Well, let me just say that I haven't heard a lot since the pandemic, so I I yeah. don't know how that has perhaps changed the perspective of, of the folks in the industry in my district. But what I was hearing before that was, uh, you know, that there is some friction between those who uh, want to kind of see this legalization process through and think that they can uh, survive the, the regulatory and financial burdens of the transition and want to stay the course. Uh, and others who feel like the uh, the, the, the regulatory and uh, financial burdens that have been put on them just make the economics unworkable, and they kind of want to go back into the black market. And uh, even some who, you know, have, have a rather untenable position of wanting uh, to go back to criminalization uh, so that they can make more money. And, you know, that's that's really not... I think, a serious option for us. We've got to see this thing through, and, and I'm certainly committed to trying to make it work. I think we have to, we have to see this through 
Larry. I mean, you, you can't go back to some kind of a criminalization just so you can try to benefit folks who thrive in, you know, the underground economy. I mean, that's that's not a tenable position for anybody. And and there were dark sides to all of that too. Um, so, you know, I I don't have as a general proposition. I don't I don't know that I can uh, say, you know, this is the answer uh, because it's complicated. Uh, I have heard feedback from constituents in some cases that just reflects the reality of doing business in in a legal market. Yeah, you have to pay workers comp. Yeah, you have to get permit when you go to, uh, you know, impound water or do any of these other things. And, and you got to comply with fire codes and all kinds of things. And that can be seen as a burden. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that lots of folks would prefer not to do it. But that that's kind of what operating a legal business is all about. Uh, on the other hand, I've heard about you know layers of micromanaging and and cost and and regulation that seem over the top in some cases, and those are legitimate complaints to me. And I hope that those are the kind of things that we can work out. It's going to be mostly at the state level, obviously, um, but I want to make sure as we as we do our work at the federal level that we're not creating more of that. After a quick break, we'll continue our discussion about legalization with a focus on what's happening around the country at the state level. We'll be joined by Jared Moffitt of the Marijuana Policy Project. That's next, right after this. Welcome back to the Humble Chronicles. If you're just joining us, we've spoken with Congressman Jared Huffman about whether federal legalization is likely soon with a congressional vote due on the matter this month. Now we turn our attention to the states, many of which have ballot measures to vote on in November. For that part of the discussion, we're glad to welcome to the show Jared Moffitt, Campaigns Coordinator at the Marijuana Policy Project. Jared works on cannabis-related initiatives and legislation in multiple states. It's been bumpy in places. COVID-19, for example, has impacted signature gathering for initiatives and, in some places, caused the postponement of efforts until future election cycles. As we know, the year 2020 is overloaded with issues on every conceivable political and public policy front, and cannabis legalization is on that list. Maybe a little under the radar this year, but still cruising along in several states. So it's going to be another big year for 2020 and uh, on the ballot for cannabis reform in Montana. We have a dual initiative legalization proposal. So there's a constitutional initiative, um, CI-118, and then a statutory uh, initiative that goes along with it um, that is I-190. And uh, yeah, those will set up a system to legalize marijuana for adults um, in, in the state. Uh, also got in South Dakota another kind of dual initiative uh, situation, but in that in this case we've got a constitutional amendment that um, puts medical cannabis in the Constitution, but also legalizes adults 21 and older. And then there's a statutory initiative that's just for medical marijuana. So we're you know putting those as a package deal uh, to the voters as well. Um, and uh, some other campaigns that I'm not directly involved in, but we're definitely keeping an eye on. Uh, we've got a legislatively referred adult use legalization initiative in New Jersey. 
there's a uh, an adult use legalization initiative in Arizona, and then there's a medical marijuana initiative in Mississippi. Um, sadly, we uh, I was also involved in the Nebraska medical marijuana initiative this year, but uh, unfortunately, on Thursday, actually this past week, the Supreme Court uh, kicked us off the ballot. Uh, despite us having uh, collected enough signatures, they argued that it violated the single subject rule, um, which we think was a terrible ruling, but um, it is what it is. And so we're regrouping and looking ahead to 2022 now. As this movement has grown over the years, initiatives and legislation have changed and become more comprehensive. Now, they almost always include provisions regarding social equity and justice issues, like expungement of past cannabis-related criminal convictions. I think that that's become a very salient part of the discussion. So in some of the initiative states, we have to be kind of careful because, uh, well, this is actually why the Nebraska initiative was kicked off because of a single subject rule. And so, for example, in South Dakota, we certainly support expunging prior records, but there was a concern that including that in the initiative would lead to a single subject issue. So that's not included. However, in Montana, that wasn't a concern. And so expungement is part of the Montana initiatives. Um, in other states, I know that in New Jersey, there's a component of doing equitable licensing, reinvestment into communities that have been disproportionately harmed by marijuana criminalization laws. So it's definitely a part of the conversation everywhere, whether it's addressed directly in the initiatives or if it's something that we have to take care of in the legislature after passage during implementation. It's a part of, uh, of the policy at this point. I think most folks feel rightly that it's not complete to have legalization without doing something to address the past harms. And I'm certainly happy to see that it's becoming kind of a standard part of these laws. I think that the advocates who are working on these campaigns are committed to doing kind of a two-step process where after the initiatives pass, that there's subsequently a push to to pass expungement through the legislature. And I think the, the pressure increases. You know, we saw that in Michigan in 2018 where it was a similar situation. We couldn't have expungement in the initiative. But afterwards, almost immediately afterwards, you saw support from the governor and members of the legislature saying, okay, we've legalized this, but now we have to, you know, make sure we're thinking about the people who were who were previously harmed. So I think one way or another, you know, advocates are aware that this, that this has to be has to be done. From the get-go, this has been a learning process for every state that has moved in the direction of legalization. That's not a surprise. We knew that bringing a once illegal commodity to the legal market would be easier said than done. There's been a lot of trial and error. The experience of the early adopter states like Colorado and the West Coast states has influenced virtually all of the current state proposals and the federal legislation soon to be considered in Congress. Hindsight's 2020, and we have the benefit of seeing a lot of different types of policies being experimented with. Um, particularly, you know, I've seen a lot of progress on licensing structures and should there be competitive scoring or should there be kind of a, um, a free market approach where it's a low barrier to entry. And I think people have moved much more in the direction of seeing that if you have sort of all these restrictions on who can apply and scoring systems, that leads to lawsuits, it leads to a delay in implementation whereas we see kind of like a, a let all flowers bloom type of approach in states like Oklahoma, that tends to work, I think, a lot better for patients. And, and um, it, it's not to say it's that without 
any problems, but I've seen a movement towards that. Um, with medical cannabis, I think now we see more states moving towards not having specific qualifying conditions for medical marijuana and just allowing doctors to have discretion. So, you know, the tax rates are something that states have looked at and setting up a tax system that some states have done it better than others. So, yeah, I mean, there's always, I think, an attempt to try to learn lessons from, you know, what's been tried before. And it's still an imperfect process because you can't always draw hard and fast lessons from one state's experience. But I think overall, we've made a lot of progress in in figuring out what types of regulations and systems work better than others. Jared, I know we have a uh, vote coming up in the U.S. House soon on the Moore Act, which is fairly comprehensive. And one of the things it would do would be to basically remove cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. That's oversimplified, Mm -hmm. but that's what might happen. Mm -hmm. In a case like that, wouldn't interstate commerce then be inevitable? And do you know if any of the state measures seek to deal with that, or do you know of states that would actually want to maintain intrastate markets only? That's a great question. Um, I am not aware that any state has really thought through what it's going to look like post some type of legalization or descheduling at the federal level. Some state laws do require that the dispensaries or the businesses have to be owned by residents of the state. My bet would be that you would see some states attempt to maintain sort of a wall around their industry and, you know, protect their businesses. I mean, that's, I think there's just a natural incentive there to protect, you know, your own industry, right? Um, Certainly it'll, you know, it'll come up at some point that states will have to think about the context of the market, not just being within their own state. So it'll be interesting to see how the state adapt to that. A funny thing happened on the way to the current national divide we're all aware of and the political tension that's exhausting us. What happened was a coming together of sorts on the cannabis issue. It's become less of a left-right issue than in the past. Some on the right now see it as an economic issue rather than a culture war issue. Personally, one of the main reasons I wanted to get involved in in this issue is because I do think it's one that is not as polarized along party lines, and it's not polarized really along ideological lines. We've had a nice coalition, I think, for many years of, you know, kind of more libertarian folks, you know, along with progressives who see the value in, in legalization. There are plenty of conservatives who understand that this is, you know, the government telling adults what they can and can't do in the privacy of their home. And that that sort of strikes the wrong chord with them. I think they see, just from a common sense point of view, look like we're spending a bunch of money arresting people, putting them in jails, and it's not affecting use. It's just making, you know, illegal dealers, you know, they're profiting from it. So I think that, you know, you don't necessarily need an ideology to see why the policy of prohibition doesn't make sense. And I think, you know, whether you're on the right or left, you can see the benefit of having new tax revenue from a new source. So I think for for non-consumers, you know, that's sort of a, oh, well, if you can raise taxes from marijuana, that means my property taxes won't go up as much. Or if I'm a progressive and I care about, you know, public school funding, I can say, oh, well, there's new money for public schools. So it's definitely an issue that, you know, I don't think it's really, it fits into either party or either left or right. And um, I think that's why we've made so much progress in the last 10, 20 years. But all is not green grass and high tides. Take Nebraska, for example where the governor is not only against legalization, but he has lots of lawyers and the state Supreme Court on his team. 
and he's winning so far. In the running for most anti-legalization governor is actually Pete Ricketts in Nebraska, who very much has been against us. And, you know, uh, I'm speculating and there's no direct proof, but, you know, there's certainly a sense among people in the state that he had something to do with this Supreme Court ruling and four of the seven justices were appointed by him. And I'm sure that he had something in terms of hiring the lawyers who brought the case. And so he's been against this issue for, for years and, you know, has really not allowed any common ground to emerge. I mean, the, the whole reason Nebraska went for the ballot initiative in the first place was because the legislature has been just totally unwilling to even vote on very restrictive and cautious medical marijuana bills. So, you know, and that's largely because the governor has has kind of led the opposition. From there, we circle back to Washington and ask Congressman Jared Huffman this. Do you feel like we do these days? This is the Humble Chronicles, back right after this. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. Up to this point, we've discussed optimism in the U.S. House of Representatives that cannabis reform and legalization might pass this month. Plus, we've gotten an update on measures in several of the states aimed at legalization. Now, to the question at the top of every ballot this November, the presidency. With the presidential election less than two months away, we ask our Congressman Jared Huffman if legalization might be even more likely if there's a change in the Oval Office and we get a Biden-Harris administration. Here's what he had to say. Well, I've talked to Kamala Harris specifically about it. Um, you know, we are colleagues uh, in, in the Congress, and uh, I've known Kamala for many, many years. And uh, she definitely has evolved on this issue. Um, you know, as a prosecutor, it, it won't surprise anyone to know that I think she was uh, quite skeptical of uh, cannabis legalization uh, years back. Uh, but my most recent conversation with her, you know, probably a year ago, she seemed fully comfortable with decriminalization. I don't think I certainly don't think you're going to get resistance from her on it. I don't know where Biden is, uh, but I know where the country is and where the Congress is. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's time. We're really quite close here to uh, to just getting this done. And then everybody is going to wonder why we waited so long, because it's going to be no big deal. Congressman Huffman, by the way, is all for the individual states continuing their efforts to legalize, and for good reason, momentum. Definitely. That's why you have people like Cory Gardner that, you know, are suddenly open to uh, federal decriminalization. Uh, because the state of Colorado, you know, the ground underneath him moved. And uh, every time a state uh, goes over into that column, um, you get new members of Congress that have to kind of go, go to Washington and reflect the will of their constituents. Here's the thing. If you sprain your ankle or break your arm, you see a doctor. If current politics and anger and hate has sprained your brain, nearly broken your spirits, and left you just plain nervous, maybe you'd like to hear from your congressman for some thoughts on your current anxiety. Yeah, well, you're not wrong to be nervous. Um, I'm nervous, uh, to be to be perfectly honest, um, because the stakes are so high. I, I mean, I w- no exaggeration. I'm I'm genuinely worried about whether we hang on to the country we've known if Trump manages to somehow get four more years, uh, especially if there's a a Republican Senate that continues to be compliant with him. So um, the the stakes are just so enormously high. And, you know, he he 
kind of punked us all in 2016. Uh, we all thought it was in the bag. Um, so you, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's perfectly, uh, understandable to, to just be a little afraid right now. Uh, and if that motivates you to get involved and make sure everyone, you know, votes and, and kind of do your part, fear is a perfectly constructive motivator. Uh, <laughs> But what I what I hope people don't do is get overwhelmed and, and kind of, you know, curl up in a in a fetal position and uh, surrender, because uh, that is probably the way Trump could still win. And uh, he's going to do his very best to make all of us get into that fetal position. He's going to run, you know, crazy attack ads and just make us all confused and disgusted. He's going to use voter comp- suppression, make it hard for a lot of our people to vote. And I, I think we're just going to have to buck up here in this moment and overcome all that and, and deliver the win. So, Larry, I'm glad Congressman Huffman is in the same boat with us and feeling the gravity of this current situation. It doesn't lessen the anxiety, but at least we know we're not alone. I also think he's right that the Moore Act has lots of support in the U.S. House and probably will pass, but approval in the U.S. Senate will depend entirely on enough Republicans viewing this in economic terms rather than cultural terms. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm glad not to be alone in my concern about the November election, but I still can't help being nervous. And yeah, I think the Senate is key. Obviously, nothing passed out of the House becomes law until it's passed in the Senate and then signed by the president. But whether in this session of Congress or the next or the one after that, it really feels like federal legalization is inevitable sometime in the relatively near future. And let's hope we're ready for that transition whenever it comes here in Humboldt County. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guests, Congressman Jared Huffman, and Jared Moffitt of the Marijuana Policy Project. Finally, much appreciation to our sponsors, Bear Extraction House, California Harvest House, and Kind Roots Trading. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of each month. So we'll see you next time, October the 21st at 6 p.m.